The adrenal glands, also known as suprarenal, because they are on top of the kidneys. Adrenal, because they are just next to the kidneys. Suprarenal or adrenal, we use those terms to name them. And these two glands, as you see here, they are richly vascularized. There's a lot of blood vessels that provide circulation to these two glands. And as any endocrine gland, it needs a lot of blood vessels, so the products, the hormones produced here, can be released to the circulation. There is no connection, like direct connection with the kidneys. It's just they are on top of the kidneys. And the structure of the adrenal glands is, as we have seen in the lab, it contains two parts, the cortex and the medulla. If we make a section to the adrenal gland or suprarenal gland, we'll see this, the cortex and the medulla. The cortex is composed by three layers of cells and the medulla is a tissue that is going to produce two hormones, epinephrine and norepinephrine, also known as adrenaline and noradrenaline. But we better say epinephrine, norepinephrine. And if you remember from 40B, nervous system, epinephrine, norepinephrine are neurotransmitters. These cells are actually, they derive from sympathetic nervous system. And when we did sympathetic, parasympathetic, we mentioned uh, at some point this, that during development, some of these neurons, they get, they separate from the nervous system and they migrate, they travel, and they get in the medulla of the adrenal gland. But in nature, they are essentially the same as sympathetic neurons. They get specialized in production of this epinephrine or epinephrine. But the connection still remains. So whenever sympathetic nervous system is stimulated, activated by fight or flight response, anxiety, all these neurons, or these cells at the medulla will also react, will also react, releasing epinephrine and norepinephrine. The glands are covered by a capsule. This capsule is a thick, capsule of connective tissue and right under we have these layers, three layers uh, which are part of the adrenal cortex. The cortex is divided in three layers or three regions. The zona glomerulosa which is the outermost right under the capsule as we see here. The capsule is actually a thick capsule something like this and then right under we have the zona glomerulosa, which is a layer of cells that is arranged like in groups, round formations. That's why it's called glomerulosa, like glomeruli, which means a group of cells with a round form. Then the second layer, the middle layer, it's called the zona fasciculata. And it extends up to here. It's usually clear, not dark like the other layers, but with more magnification we could see the cells 
arranged in chords in this way. The slides that we have in the lab, they show very clear the zona fasciculata because the slides are old and they're losing the stain. But that's how it looks. We can see the difference between the different layers. And the third layer, the deepest layer of the cortex is the zona reticularis, which is a group of cells, small cells, they look dark, dark nucleus. And what comes after, what comes after is the med adrenal medulla. Adrenal medulla, and we recognize the medulla because we see blood vessels. We see blood vessels there. And the tissue looks a little clearer, lighter than the previous layer. So what's happening in these layers? The zona glomerulosa secretes a group of hormones called mineralocorticoids. In general, adrenal cortex secretes corticoids. That's how we call them. And the name corticoid comes from cortex, adrenal cortex, corticoid. But the corticoids are of different types. One type is called mineralocorticoid. One example of mineralocorticoid is aldosterone, which is produced here in the zona glomerulosa. Then the second layer, fasciculata, secretes glucocorticoids. Now, why we use this name, mineralocorticoids, glucocorticoids? Mineralocorticoids is not like that because these uh, corticoids are going to control or regulate the levels of sodium and potassium minerals. Glucocorticoids, because these corticoids, they affect the metabolism of glucose. Here we have the example of cortisol, which is produced in the zona fasciculata. In the zona reticularis, androgens. Androgens, which is a masculine hormone. It's not testosterone yet. It's a precursor of testosterone. And it's secreted and produced in a very small amount, a very small amount of androgens in both sexes, male and female. And then the adrenal medulla, the cells of the adrenal medulla are called the chromaffin cells, and they are going to produce these two substances, epinephrine and norepinephrine. Now this adrenal gland is very soft tissue. When we open up like in surgery or dissection, we see the kidneys, but on top of the kidneys we see like a fat tissue, adipose tissue, and in between we see all this soft yellow tissue, which is the adrenal cortex. Thanks to the capsule that is contained because it's very soft and very soft tissue. Here we see, and this is the slide that usually we see in the, in the lab, the lower magnification helps to see and appreciate all the layers of the cortex. The cortex here and the three layers can be seen clearly here. Or in this other picture underneath. Here we see very clear the limit between the medulla and the cortex, reticularis, fasciculata, and glomerulosa. This is what I was saying. They are called mineralocorticoids because their function is the regulation of minerals, mineral homeostasis, basically sodium and potassium. 
Zona fasciculata secretes glucocorticoids that affect the glucose metabolism or glucose homeostasis. In what way? When the corticoid is secreted, the glucose goes up. It's a, a response to stress. In response to stress, we need more energy. Corticoids will release more glucose, so we can use our glucose as fuel. And the zona reticularis, these androgens, which are masculine hormones that, as I said, they are very weak and they are producing very small amounts. It doesn't, uh, uh, it's not actually the responsible of the masculine uh, characteristics because it is producing both in men and women. Although, if there's a problem at this point, like a tumor of these cells, if there's excessive production of the, uh, uh, or growth of the sonar reticularis, we'll see increased amount of androgens. And it can be uh, masculinizing. Like women can show like beard, or, uh, muscles grow, all the masculine characteristics. And actually we see this in sometimes rare tumors that affect this, uh, this adrenal gland. Aldosterone is the main, the major mineral or corticoid that we're going to describe. Aldosterone regulates the sodium and potassium homeostasis. Sodium and potassium homeostasis. And what effect this has help to adjust the blood pressure and blood volume and promotes excretion of hydrogen ions. When the pH of the blood gets lower, the number of hydrogen ions increase and the aldosterone helps eliminate those hydrogens as one of their effects. Sodium and potassium is very important in the control of this. And um, I think when we did blood vessels and uh, talk about blood pressure, we mentioned about this sodium and potassium the aldosterone responds to a series of mechanisms. I mean, the secretion of aldosterone is controlled by this pathway called RAA that stands for renin angiotensin aldosterone, which is a sequence, a sequence of chemicals that are activated. And the last step in the sequence is aldosterone. So renin induces angiotensin, and the angiotensin induces secretion of aldosterone by the zona glomerulosa of the adrenal cortex. And in this diagram, we see all this in different steps. So let's go one by one, number by number, and see how this aldosterone is produced. And number one, let's start with a situation here. Someone with dehydration. Dehydration because they're sweating too much, or diarrhea, or vomiting, etc. Or losing blood, hemorrhage. That has a, as a consequence that the blood volume will be decreased. Less blood, less blood volume. And if there's less blood volume, that means that they will have blood, low blood pressure. The blood pressure is decreased. So that blood pressure, low blood pressure, is the stimulus for the juxtaglomerular cells of the kidneys. There's a group of cells in the kidneys called juxtaglomerular cells. 
and they detect this low blood pressure. Well, in response, they produce this renin. The renin, therefore, is increased in the blood and is secreted to the blood. Well, the renin will find in the blood, in the blood will find this chemical called angiotensin, which is produced by the liver. The liver produces angiotensin, nogen, and it is found in the plasma. So when this renin increases in levels, will make the angiotensinogen be converted into angiotensin 1. So we'll start in renin, now angiotensin 1. The angiotensin 1 is still in the blood, in the plasma. It keeps circulating, and when it goes through the lungs, when it passes through the lungs, it is converted into angiotensin 2 by the effect of this enzyme called ACE, angiotensin converting enzyme. So the angiotensin 2 will have different effects, and here we go. One of the effects is it works or stimulates the adrenal cortex, so the adrenal cortex will secrete aldosterone. And there we go. Renin, angiotensin, aldosterone. That's how this is, this is produced. And what are the effects of aldosterone? The aldosterone works on the kidneys, increasing the sodium and water reabsorption and increasing secretion of potassium and hydrogen into the urine. What happens if sodium is reabsorbed? In more amounts, more water will be reabsorbed. And with that, the effect will be increased blood volume and the blood pressure returns to normal levels. That's how this aldosterone works. So anytime that we have dehydration, bleeding, hemorrhage, aldosterone is produced. So we retain sodium and restore the blood volume. There are, uh, there's one more effect of the angiotensin 2, number 15 vasoconstriction of arterioles. That vasoconstriction will also help to increase the blood pressure and return the blood pressure to normal levels. So that's how the aldosterone works and um, we see renin, angiotensin, aldosterone. Yes. The angiotensinogen, which is produced by the liver, we are on step six, it is converted into angiotensin one because of the effect of the renin. The renin will make this step happen. The angiotensinogen turns into angiotensin one. So the adrenal gland in the second part or the second layer, the zona fasciculata, is responsible for secretion of glucocorticoids. Cortisol or hydrocortisone, cortisone, corticosterone, all names for the same group of chemicals called glucocorticoids. They are regulated by negative feedback. And we'll see how this works. What are the effects of the glucocorticoids? Glucose formation, which means gluconeogenesis in the liver. Gluconeogenesis means 
production of glucose molecules from fats and from amino acids. So induces the formation of glucose. What for? So we can use the glucose as fuel. Lipolysis. Why we want to destroy the, 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 the lipids? Because we need fuel, we need energy. Resistance to stress. This glucose and lipids that pro provide energy will help us to resist the stress. Anti-inflammatory effects and immune responses. This anti-inflammatory effects is important to remember because we use this effect for treatment. That's the reason why we prescribe corticoids. One of the corticoids that is very used is called prednisone and is used for asthma, for instance. Asthma that lasts many days. Prednisone is given because of their anti-inflammatory effects. You have an infection or inflammation of the skin. You have a rash or something on the skin and sometimes you are prescribed cream of hydrocortisone. Hydrocortisone is going to uh, have an anti-inflammatory effect. So the glucocorticoids, the glucocorticoids are controlled by negative feedback, we say. The secretion of glucocorticoids is controlled by negative feedback. Where this happens? Well, let's start someplace here. Hypothalamus. There are cells in the hypothalamus, neurosecretory cells in the hypothalamus, that will produce CRH. CRH. That CRH is going to stimulate the pituitary gland. This is a corticotrophic releasing hormone, one of the releasing hormones of the hypothalamus. This CRH is going to stimulate the corticotroph cells in the anterior pituitary gland, and these cells are going to produce ACTH, adrenocorticotrophic hormone. This ACTH goes to the blood and reaches the adrenal glands and stimulates the cells of the zona fasciculata to secrete glucocorticoids. That's the axis, CRH, ACTH, cortisol. Now, how the negative feedback works? Well, we go up in, the, in this loop and up here we have a stimulus. One stimulus that will disrupt the homeostasis by increasing the stress, let's say, for some reason. Stress means not only, not only the stress that we know, like give us anxiety and things. Stress is in any threatening situation that the body is involved. An infection may be, a disease may be stress for the body. So this will stimulate, this will stimulate the neurosecretory cells of the hypothalamus and corticals, cortisol is secreted and the response to stress uh, happens. Now, when the corticoids are produced, this increased amount of glucocorticoids is going to have a negative feedback on the hypothalamus. And in that way we have the negative feedback loop for this case. 
So summarizing this, I think we have another picture here. We can summarize this in CRH from the hypothalamus stimulates ACTH and the ACTH glucocorticoids. This is pituitary gland. This is hypothalamus. And here, adrenal cortex. And the glucocorticoids will exert negative feedback on the hypothalamus and pituitary gland. That's how the negative feedback loop works for the secretion of cortisol, glucocorticoids. Questions to this point? And the third layer, the zona reticularis, produces this androgen. DHEA, dehydroepiandrosterone, which is a precursor, is a precursor of sex hormones, but they are androgens. They uh, belong to the classification of androgens. Well, what happens is that after puberty in males, testosterone is secreted in much larger quantities. So the DHEA doesn't have virtually no effect on masculine characteristics. It's more effect of the testosterone during puberty. And in females, this DHEA play a major role in promoting the libido and most of them are converted into estrogens. Now the estrogens are the female hormone. Now, after menopause, menopause is a time at which the ovaries stop working, and therefore they don't produce estrogen anymore. All the estrogens that a woman has after menopause come from the adrenal androgens because yeah, the ovaries are not working, not producing estrogen, but the adrenal cortex is still there, and the zona reticularis is still producing small amounts of DHEA, and they turn into estrogens, a very small amount. If we measure the level of estrogens in menopause, it's very low. That's zero completely, very, very low amounts. It's because of the conversion of DHEA into estrogen, but just not enough to maintain um, many functions. And the adrenal medulla, the adrenal medulla is a group of cells called chromaffin cells. Chromaffin, because on the stain, if we stain them with special stainings, they acquire a very vivid color. That's why it's called chromaffin cells. And they produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. They are stimulated by sympathetic preganglionic neurons of the autonomic nervous system. So they are involved in the fight or flight response. At the same time that the sympathetic nervous system produces all these symptoms of pupil dilation, increased heart rate, uh, at the same time cells, chromaffin cells will release epinephrine, norepinephrine, it will enhance those, um, those effects. Here we see the connection 
the connection of the sympathetic nervous system with the adrenal medulla and the adrenal gland. Here we see the preganglionic neuron, which is in the lateral cord, in the lateral horn of the uh, spinal cord, and it goes around the ganglion and it will connect to these chromaffin cells of the adrenal medulla. So at the same time the sympathetic is stimulated, these axons are actually stimulating the chromaffin cells to produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. Problems. Glucocorticoids. High levels of cortisol. High levels of cortisol is seen when there are tumors of the adrenal cortex or maybe tumor of pituitary gland. Imagine a tumor of the pituitary gland at expense of cells, cortical troughs, that produce ACTH. That means that there's a lot of ACTH and there will be a lot of stimulation to the adrenal cortex and therefore the sonar fasciculata will produce lots of cortisol. And that may be the cause of high levels of cortisol in the blood. But it may be a tumor of the adrenal cortex. If the zona fasciculata starts producing more, we will have high levels also. And the third reason is long treatment with lots of prednisone. So in general, the symptoms produced by high levels of circular and cortisol is called Cushing's syndrome. And the picture, the photograph is showing us some traits of some characteristics of someone with Cushing's syndrome. One of them is, you see the face, red patches, the face acquires a round shape actually known like the full moon face, that's how it's described. And besides, we have other manifestations like hyperglycemia, high levels of glucose, corticoids increases the levels of glucose, poor wound healing. Because of the anti-inflammatory effects, it suppresses the immune response. Osteoporosis, it weakens the bone. Fat redistribution, moon face, a buffalo hump in the neck, and truncal obesity. This happens only when someone is taking corticoids for a very long time. That doesn't happen when you take prednisone for, let's say, four weeks, three weeks. You won't have Cushing syndrome. You have Cushing syndrome if you're taking prednisone for six months or a year and large amounts. You have a question? Yeah, and, uh, and who takes this large amounts of corticoids? Well, people with rheumatoid arthritis, people with lupus, people that have uh, autoimmune diseases. These diseases that cannot be controlled easily with other medications. But it is a trade-in. I mean, how the diseases may be really dangerous, and so balance the risk and the benefit of, uh, of the second, secondary effects. Another problem is called Addison's disease. The Addison's disease 
happens when there is a hyposecretion of glucocorticoids and aldosterone. So two layers of the venal gland is, are affected, the zona glomerulosa and the zona fasciculata. And apparently it's an autoimmune disorder, so there are antibodies or immune system attacks these cells of these two layers and destroy these cells, and these cells are not producing. They don't produce aldosterone, they don't produce glucocorticoids. And what are the effects? Well, hypoglycemia, there's not enough cortisol and the glucose is not maintained in normal levels. There are low levels of glucose. Sodium loss, what the aldosterone does, keeps the sodium. There's no aldosterone, the sodium is lost. Therefore, there will be low blood pressure. And it will tend more to dehydration, muscle weakness because of the potassium. And one of the examples is um, the ex-president Kennedy suffered from Addison's disease. And this disease is, is controlled. I mean, they can get the, the replacement therapy and they can live a normal life. But any infection, any stress, any threat, any disease can be a real problem because they get they decompensate and may have uh, some of the symptoms and many times go to the emergency because of dehydration, low blood pressure, they just lose consciousness because of hypoglycemia and um, all these uh, symptoms. And this is the summary of the adrenal glands. We have all the, all the hormones produced in the cortex and in the medulla how they are controlled, the secretion, how it's controlled, and the main actions are listed here. Any question, comment? Makes time for a break.